Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Shenanacast. Once again, in this household. Yeah, what, this what, one they, that they can't see. Yes. They don't Congratulations, know. Shadow Chorus. Because the first thing you notice was, hmm, this house sounds different. I mean, honestly, it does sound different from the, from the normal podcasting space. We could be, like, in an abandoned dock area, and they wouldn't That would know. sound really weird, acoustically. I mean... They still wouldn't know. It sounds more like we're in an abandoned warehouse. Which we are, but... Hardwood floors are nice, except when you're trying to do sound and then they echo. So you have to lock yourself in a closet, basically. Um, So what we're saying is, we are once again sans taku. Sans taco. (laughs) Because of work, right? Yes. Um, Yes. Uh, our, Our intrepid leader, Mr. Sans Taku... Finally was able to acquire that thing we call a job that pays money and bills are a thing. And so there are priorities now. Uh, And with that opening, um, let's introduce ourselves first. I am Units, your would-be host and usurper of Sensetaku's rightful position. Also known as... Yes, also known as Austin. To my left we have... Pookie, the death bunny. Um... I'm a person. Actually, I'm a bunny. What's your name? Also Holly. known as Holly. Okay. We're bad at this. And I'm Shadow Chorus. The Chorus of Shadows. The Shadows in the Chorus. And I am also known as William. Alright. So, um, to start off, I'm going to let you know about a couple changes we've got coming up. Um, we will still be producing everyday content. That has not changed. The methodology by which we are producing this content is changing because um, I have a work schedule that requires me to do a lot of things in the morning from 6 a.m. to the afternoon. Since Taku has a work schedule that requires him to do things overnight. These are not conductive work schedules together. Uh, So... My work schedule has me working in the evening. Yes. I'm closer to earlier in the day. Yes. Yeah, I guess. So, at any given time, at least one of us is at work, and often others of us are doing things that are work-related. So, uh, we are going to be doing some splitting up of some things. The podcast, this podcast, will remain on Mondays. Um, we will be at its normal time. We will usually be doing Shadow Chorus Unit Sensetaku for podcasts. However, um, Sensetaku's schedule is a little bit erratic, and so sometimes he will be unable to join us for the podcast, as today. Um, In which case, we will have the lovely Pookie the Death Bunny filling in. Um, Aside from that, that is the only big difference on that podcast. However, those who listen to our actual plays will notice that uh, our actual plays will now be split into two separate groups. That's right, because of our scheduling problems, you get double the content. Uh, we will be having our continuing our simple life actual play, which will continue to be um, William DMing for Holly, myself, as well as my father Stan and my brother Zachary, and potentially um, potentially Kyle Warner. Poten- I, I think he's going to be like a drop in probably Poten- with potentially our group. some other drop ins, but those will be the primary. Um, and then since Taku will be splitting off and doing his own actual play group. Um, not, I don't know if we're, uh, when it's going to start, probably in the next couple weeks. He has to get together his group of people who do this silly thing where they don't work 
on Saturdays? Like people get weekends off? What's this nonsense I hear about? Weekends off is a beautiful thing. Weird, man. Weird. So, um... I mean, you get half a weekend off, plus the next day. Yeah, I get Sunday and Monday. This Saturday's off thing eludes me. Now they know your schedule and they can stalk you. Yes, for anybody who wants to know, I work at a place called Special Needs and Treats. You can look up our website if you want to. www.specialneedsandtreats.com Needs spelled with a K. Um, there. Advertising. Ha! Got it in there. Um... I'm just gonna advertise for our own things. I mean, you started it. I just ran with Sorry. it. So, that will be the that situation. Uh, aside from that, we will continue to be streaming seven days a week. Our streaming schedule will be updating. I've updated it both on the Twitch page and on our website, www.finalshowfilms.com. You can check it out there. The gist of it is, since Taku will be streaming 8 to 11 on Mondays, and he will still be joined by Shadow Chorus and myself, um, Tuesdays will be Shadow Chorus. Yo. From 8 to 11. Wednesdays, Sentaku, 8 to 11. <coughs> um, Thursdays, Sentaku, 8 to 11. Fridays, Pookie the Death Bunny and I will be taking over, uh, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. All of these, by the way, are Eastern Standard Time. Uh, for... We're on Greenwich Mean Time. <laughs> Greenwich Mean Time is five hours ahead, ahead of, of us. Yeah. So, Greenwich Mean Time minus five. For those of you who don't know what Eastern Standard Time is. Um, but yes, uh, from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time will be uh, Pookie and Unit's Fun Happy Murder Times, in which Pookie the Death Bunny <laughs> learns how to play video games and generally murders everybody. And I make decisions that Unit's does not agree with. Yes, things go well. She murders people for their hats. And sometimes I make decisions that Shadow Chorus doesn't agree <laughs> with. When you completely disregard things that have been told to you. It was fine. It ended fine. It ended with a kidnapping. It it was going to happen anyway. It's fine. So if you want to see more of this. (laughs) (laughs) Everything is fine. Then on Saturday, uh, super ethical, multi-reality explosive. I've got it written right here. Hold on one second. (laughs) Super ethical explosive reality shenaniganery. Yes. On Saturday mornings with Sense Taku from 9 to noon. And then we have Shadow Chorus Sundays for a six-hour stream, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Primarily Shadow Chorus, though he will be joined occasionally uh, for chunks of that time period by Pookie the Death Bunny. I I try to come in at the end for, you know, last two, three hours. Um, And all of this can be found at twitch.tv slash taku. Um, there's a link to it on the website, finalshowfilms.com. Sand Taco. Uh, Sands Taco, S-E-N-S-T-A-K-U. So that will be the streaming. Um, we will continue to do two guys, one camera. We will continue to have a Tuesday sketch and a Thursday sketch. Um, we're attempting to have it, the Tuesday sketch be about a 30-second sketch and the Thursday sketch be longer form. Um, for the holiday season, that might change that for might, a bit. That will probably just be two 30 second bits. Because, because we all have families and, and holidays are happening. Holidays and stuff. Um, not to mention, we're just. There's a combination of medical issues and uh, Sensaku is just starting his job and setting into the new schedule. So, so we have to get used to this. Until January, it'll probably just be two 30 second bits. Um, we'll try to get you more if we can. If we can't. Uh, if we can get, if we can fit a long one in, we'll probably will, but... Yeah. This requires planning. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, uh, at our addition, I believe that's all of our primary projects. Um, in addition to that, the cooking show, uh, the Patreon has been wavering from $90 to uh, $100. It was at 100 at one point. 80 to um, 100 in that range. Yeah, but we it's, it switched around. It seems to have settled somewhere around 90 Um So the cooking show... Uh, it, it was initially delayed due to health reasons primarily. And um, since they were back below 100, um, it probably won't start up until the new year. Uh, so that is the delay on that. And again, the, the funding for it has wavered slightly. So um, all of that said, uh, thanks for sticking around for this part of it. We will be traditionally podcasting today as well. Uh, thanks for bearing through the tedium. So, um, for those of you who do want us to be able to do more content, check us out at, at uh, www.patreon.com um, slash fsfilms where you can check a look at what we would love to do in the future uh, if we had more funding and time. Uh, so if you want to check that out, please do. So, to the topic at hand, today we're going to talk about being a dungeon master. So uh, I've been playing D&D for a very long time, and I've dungeon mastered off and on for probably about 10 years. I started in high school. Yeah, so about 10 years. I've been playing D&D also for quite a long time, uh, for, for many years, and... I have not dungeon mastered nearly. I'm nowhere near a veteran dungeon master. I've not been dungeon mastering nearly as as often as units has, but I am also not a beginner. And then we have. <laughs> I always <laughs> seem to be the beginner. Um, now I I've been playing D and D for about ten years, but I have never DM'd because I'm kind of terrified of it. And that's what we want to get you used to. Maybe you've considered DMing. Maybe you have a group and it's really hard for you to find a DM. And we want to make sure that you are aware that DMing should not be intimidating. It should not be something that scares you away. It should be something... It, it should be just as fun as playing. And so it starts off... Um, Holly, what, what is it that scares you about DMing? Um, number one, there are like 10,000 rules in like any campaign you're playing, whether it be D&D, Warcraft, Shadowrun, anything. And unlike someone I know, I don't spend every waking moment of free time memorizing every rule. I don't intentionally memorize the rules. It just happens. I go to the computer and there are like ten pages of rules open. Anyway, so so the 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 rules is is when you have games where you can have three rule books that are you know three hundred pages long each. Just and you know one book like here's how to DM three hundred giant illustrated pages of DMing. Um, yes. That is, that is something that is intimidating. It, it's more than a little intimidating there. Um, um. To try to sort through all of that. 
especially since you usually have at least one person in the group that is that person that will correct you on everything. Yes. Um, the, the biggest thing for that is, and, and that's something that's very much a player-dungeon master relationship. Players have to understand a, a new DM. And, and they have to be able to understand, okay, this DM doesn't know all the rules off the top of their head. And it doesn't matter how experienced of a dungeon master you are. There are very few dungeon masters who really do know all the rules off the top of their heads. Yeah. They, I, know, they know the ones that are relevant and that they use a lot. I, kn- I don't know all the rules off the top of my head. I've had to look things up several times. Um, sometimes there aren't rules for a situation. We recently got into a discussion about disarming a shield in 5th edition... And it's like, the rules are really ambiguous whether or not you can even do this. Um, so the big thing is, if you don't know a rule, you are the DM. You decide. You decide the rules. Um, if some, and, and if one of your players is like, oh, you know, I, I initiate a grapple check, don't be afraid to say, alright, if you're the one grappling, do you know how it works? As long as you have a good DM player relationship... Usually, if a player's trying to do something, if, if the player does something a lot that's complicated, the player should be expected to know how it works. The DM should not be expected to, to know all the idiosyncrasies of a character who is a mounted combat individual with, uh, with spring attack using improved overrun. What now? It doesn't come up all that often. If a player wants to use a build that abuses something like that or you know how does how does critical hits interact with a grapple if somebody grapples a lot how does critical hit how does a critical hit interact with a grapple <laughs> okay. you, you, you used you... singular and plural how does critical hits how does critical hits it's a band name <laughs> <laughs> it's my D&D cover band actually that'd be really cool why is this not a thing? Just like a D&D based like theme band. Heck yeah. That'd be cool. Alright. Um, um, so what, our what, next what, project. Else, what else troubles you about Dungeon Mastering? Um, creating the world. So that's something, that, that's something that I'll cover in a moment. Yeah. Um, that's that's really intimidating. Um, also the multiple characters because I'm used to playing one character at a time and then you go to playing like everyone else so role playing all of your characters yeah so building the world and and keeping them straight mm. building the world like, especially populating when the world. your characters have to have conversations with each other i i don't know if i could do that very well there's a lot of tricks for when your characters have to have conversations with each other um a lot of that Honestly, the easiest thing to do is look over just some, like, acting 101 courses. Inflect- e- even if you can't do an accent, inflection can be a giveaway. And also, you can literally just go, blah, 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 this guy says, and this one responds, blah, 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 blah. Um, I've been in a campaign where people have signs. And it's like... <laughs> It, you know, but it, it, I, I don't know why, but I'm picturing like Wiley e. Coyote, like, with, like this guy talking, <laughs> holding up the sign. For some, for a beginner DM, if you have characters who talk a lot, especially if if it's a situation where you know 
there's an NPC who is kind of a guide for the party. So, uh, more on that one later. Be careful with that. That's a trap sometimes if you do it wrong. But if, there, if there's an NPC you regularly interact with, you can be like, just hold up the sign. You have to be like, this person says it's just bam. You know, and if you have like three or four characters, you can whip them out and they can have a really easy visual guide to who's talking. Um, so. We also use that for things like when this character is speaking in Elvish, whip up the Elvish sign. And everybody who speaks Elvish knows that the person is speaking in Elvish. It's l- little shorthand things that save a lot of confusion and only look silly until you try it. Yeah. Um, so we covered things that look intimidating. So we'll go down the line. I'll start out with uh, some basic tips and tricks that a dungeon master should probably just keep their hand in. Uh, just to make sure, just to make life easier for them. So let's start with building the world, because that was one of the things that was really intimidating to you. Oh, that's, that's one of my favorite parts. I, uh, <laughs> so start small. It's like if you're building a world, start at the base. Start at say the first town that the players will be in. Say it's just like a small village. It's a small. A small, like, farming village. In, in, our, in the case of our campaign, it was a ship and a barren wasteland. And to clarify something really quick when we, before we even get into building a world. There are a lot of pre-built worlds out there. There are. Pre-built worlds have a pro and a con. Pro being, it gives you a lot of background lore. You can work with it. When, when, when you're using the, the, the World of Warcraft world. Azeroth. There's a lot there. There's, There's a, lot, a there. lot of background for me to work with. The con. The con is twofold. Number one, it can be a crutch. You still have to build a world. Yeah. Um, William will go through this. He's still building a part of the world. Yeah. You can't just rely on, oh, this place that exists exactly as is, and this place that exists even exactly if you, as is. Even if you do that, you have to build the environment and things that are going yeah. on. You, like, you could... Like, say, with Azeroth, you could play it completely straight. These are the places that exist in the world of Azeroth. You're not making anything new. But you still have yeah. to create the people that live there and describe the environments. So, so just a quick caveat. If you are intimidated by building a world, don't be afraid. You know, you can definitely use existing worlds to help you, get, to help you feel more comfortable. But don't use it as a crutch, so... The, the, all of this stuff still applies. Don't think, oh, she's a pre-existing world. I don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. But like, start. But if you're if you're for building worlds, start small uh, with the environment that say the players are going to start the campaign in. If it's beginning in a town on a ship, start with the environment. Like, say they're starting in a small village. They're be doing you know standard adventuring party storyline. They start in a small village. Well, what kind of village is it? Is it by the sea? Is it in the middle of a forest? Is it in a swamp? Um, let's say it's a it's a coastal village. Uh, give it a name. Let's call it uh, Deep Harbor. Um, so, you decide first what kind of village is it, and this is this is just in the grand scheme. This is wide wide big strokes, broad strokes. Is, what kind of village is it? It's a coastal village, so it's got a dock. Ships are probably important to it. Um, what kind of shipping? Is it like a trading place? Is it a tourist destination? 
is it a fisher village? You know, just like pick something to start with. Let's say it's a, a trading. It's a trading village. It's a trading. It's a trading post. Deep Harbor is uh, a major stop-off point between getting from one continent to another. So, most most ships come through there with trade. You've got the village. You've got the major village. It's, it's a it's a shipping it's a shipping city. It's a trade city. It's a dock. Then you go down. Then you move to people. Who is who are the NPCs the players are going to meet? And you can make an NPC in four simple and with four simple traits. What's their race? I'm sorry. What, what's what's their name? What's their race and class? What do they want? What do they fear? With those four defining traits, you can make any kind of character. Let's say uh, the bartender that the that the players will first meet in the tavern. Uh, say he's a dwarf. Uh, give him a name. Uh, Belm Hammerhand. Maybe there's a story behind that name. Maybe there isn't. Um, and don't be afraid, as a tip for making names, to consult a name generator beforehand. Yeah. And just build up 20 names. Because you never know when the, when somebody will be like, what's your name, random commoner who wasn't important to the plot who I never expected to need a name? <laughs> just frink! Pull out this list. Uh, which, this of the, which of these names looks appropriate? So... The gamers. Oh crap! I forgot to give him a name. <laughs> if you're intimidated by names, there are lots of name generators. You just pull up a list of twenty. Um, one of the DM shields I saw actually has a rolling a die name generator, syllable by syllable, which is awesome. It's by the way, it's great. It's like, oh, I forgot. Roll, roll. His name is um, Arson Quat. Tol- <laughs> <laughs> that is what I will name my first son. His name is Tor Thundershield. Awesome. This could be like how you name babies. Just roll dice. <laughs> Just roll dice. <laughs> Rolling dice can work with everything in life. Oh, uh, but so you give him a name. I'll call him Belm Hammerhand. Uh, he's a dwarf, and he's a civilian. He maybe uh, maybe he's a fighter. Maybe he's had some experience in his past. You could just not have a class. It could just be a civilian. There, there are there are basic NPC classes. Be like bartender. Commoner, expert, basically means that I don't want to give him stats. If a fight happens... He's a bartender. He's a bartender. He's gonna die. He's but, gonna... but maybe he's more than that. Maybe he's a fighter. Maybe yeah. he actually had a past of war, of military. Uh, and, and again, choosing his race and his class helps you flesh out a backstory. This is really simple. Like, if he's a fighter, maybe he's got something in his past. He's, he's, got, he's been fighting a lot in his life. But now he's a bartender. Now he wants to sit down peacefully. And bartenders are great, because they can be anybody. Yeah. And, uh, like, they may never have stats, but you could have a bartender who's a sorcerer. And, like, all of a sudden, this character has a whole <laughs> bunch of interest. Um, and so from there, you guys are raising his class. What does he want? Well, he wants to run a bar. He wants to, he wants to run a business. He wants to make money and give people a place to stay. Maybe, maybe it's out of altruism. Maybe he wants to give people a rest from their adventures, from, from the long journeys they've made. Maybe it's just out of monetary gain. Maybe he just wants to run a tavern. Uh, what does he fear? Well, if he's a bartender, he might fear his business getting shut down. 
uh, he might fear losing his tavern. If he's if he's in this dock area, maybe it's a dock area that is frequented by a lot of less than reputable people. Maybe he's afraid of one of them ruining his business. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's, he's maybe he's got a past. Maybe he's running from something that he did in his in his past life, and so he's settled down as a bartender to get away from it. Maybe he was a shady pirate. Maybe he was a pirate. And it's like could couldn't leave couldn't get away from this sea all the way, but. Maybe he's a deserter. He wanted to get as far from his old home as he could, so he went to the docks. Yeah. And now you've made this character that has a slew of possible backstories with just four attributes. And when in doubt, roll a die. Yeah. And so, these are basic things that'll help with building a world. Is you know, building NPCs, simple as four steps. Building cities, just broad strokes. Just big strokes. Uh, and if, if small details come up that are important to you, write them in. Um, another thing, whenever you do make a decision, especially an on-the-fly decision, being like, uh, we go to the nearest neighboring village. Oh, shoot. Uh, by the way, printing out village names, also a good plan, not just NPC names. Uh, and if you start with a name, you can build the village out of it, too. Oh, yeah. Um, Instead what's of the... naming them all Daventry. Only the capital city. I like the name Davin. every campaign. Maybe. Anyway, I'm bad with names, by the way. It's one of my weaknesses. Um, but yeah, it, but when you do, when it's like, uh, shoot, this city is Pelagiad. Because that was the name of the town I was just Rebel. in when I was playing Morrowind the other day. I have pulled names from video games quite frequently. That's fine. Like, and it's perfectly and legitimate. So this, this is a DM tip that will save you from most groups. Sound confident. Yes. Doesn't matter if you're pulling something out of your ass, if you're actually running through something that you've had planned for a long time. Sound like you know what you're saying. And they will believe you. Uh, I think, fair to say, one, one, of, one of the favorite sessions that I ever ran... Was uh, was the Pelagiad incident? That was one of my favorite. It was completely off the top of my head because the NPC, because the player characters, dealt with the problem very abruptly. I'm like, I didn't have anything planned after this. Let's take stop in Pelagiad and stuff's happening. And I had a vague idea where the plot was going, and it worked out great, and it was, everyone loved it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna let you in on a secret. Most of the sessions of a simple life have been flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> Um, I, I, I start with where they are, what's going to happen primarily, and the rest is up to them. We'll, we'll talk about later some things that we don't like when DMs do, and we'll talk about hard, hard writing a campaign a bit. And you can really tell when a DM has written too much mm-hmm. information. But um, but you can, you can have... It's fine to have plenty written down for plans, but be prepared... For the it. players to throw you a screwball. And when you wing it, write down what you did. Because no, you may come back to that town that you never thought you'd go back to. Just note note down what you what you uh, made up. Because people will correct you on it. And it's awkward. But basically, it's just... You can, you can have as much... And some people aren't really good at improvising. But if you're not, be prepared. Just write down a bunch of things... But be prepared in the back of your mind for what if they just go completely left field. 
be prepared. <laughs> and if it, almost every rule book has a, almost everything has a DMG, a Dungeon Master's Guide, or some equivalent to running games, has tables and charts with things like random encounters or random building of this generators. And printing off a couple tables so that you can roll in a pinch. They threw me a curveball. They're going into the, like, oh, so you're infiltrating this city full of bad guys who I didn't intend for you to get to until, like, ten levels later. Interesting approach, but you roleplayed your way into the city. I had no idea what the city was going to look like. Um, sometimes you can just be like, okay, well... I'm going to roll up a random encounter that you can fight as a really easy fight. And while you guys are fighting this encounter that I'm only half paying attention to, I'm buying time to actually plan what you do when you get in the city. <laughs> um, because honestly, pulling up the, the, the monster manual and being like, here, fight these uh, lions that are, atta- that are unseasonably attacking you gives you a, sol- a good solid, solid 30 minutes to... Be like, okay, so when they get to the city, what are they doing? And so, here's another thing that will work overarchingly for you. If something doesn't work, get rid of it. If there's some rule or something in the game that just isn't working for you and your party, throw it out the window. Like, What if it's one of the player characters? Throw it out the window. (laughs) More on that later. Um, But, like... For instance, crafting rules. Crafting rules in a lot of systems are garbage. Well, and crafting rules really depend on what kind of campaign you're playing. Are you playing a campaign where you have weeks of time to dedicate to building things? No? Well. Uh, so, in our campaign, we completely rewrote the crafting rules and changed them so they work better for us. But in other campaigns, you might just throw them out entirely. It's like, um, sure, you make this thing. Uh, it'll take you this long, and why not? Or you're not good enough to do it yet. Um, like, do not be afraid. Just because it's in this, just because it's in the rule book, does not mean that it is law. You can re- you can change, you can remove, you can add, you can just do whatever you need with these rules. The rules are just there to give you a baseline. You can play with the rules to get whatever works for you and your party. Something else you could throw out. There's a famous quote by, uh, by Gary Gygax himself about dice rolling. It's like, what? I don't need the numbers. I just like how the dice sound. Sometimes you roll dice and terrible things happen and it just doesn't advance your story the right way. And you're like, you know what? I really don't want to crit the first level mage on the first session and deal... 30 damage to him with this orc. We're just gonna say I dealt 10 damage to him and he's unconscious. No one knows because you have a DM shield. That's why you have a DM shield, by the way. It's not so to avoid the players cheating off of you. It's so that you can change the players. Cheat. So you can just flagrantly cheat. Pro tip, good DMs cheat a lot. I always wonder what mysteries go on beyond that DM shield. A lot of lying. I guess to be a DM, you must have at least eight ranks in bluff. And this is the thing. There, and what? This is the this is thing that you will learn as you play. There, there should be, however, a line. 
between uh, there 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 is a fine line between uh, fudging your rolls so you don't just completely derail things and murder people and DM predetermination. Yes. Um. Uh, which is a case where the DM just says what's going to happen. He knows ahead of time. Doesn't matter what happens. He knows what's going on. So, sometimes it's like, oh, this monster got wrecked, and I doubled its hit points because otherwise it's a letdown to the, to the party. Versus, I really like this monster, and I don't want you to kill it. I'm gonna make it arbitrarily awesome, and it's always gonna hit no matter what I roll. <laughs> That's you being spiteful. Because your monster didn't end up being as scary as you thought it was. Or even just like, this fight is going to go this many rounds. I don't care exactly what yeah. you do. doesn't matter what you do. It goes this way. Um, that's, D- G- that's DM predetermination. It's like, he knows what's going to happen. It doesn't matter what the dice say. Yeah. Uh, for instance, things that can happen while you're... While, even if you are like fudging the rules a little bit, the, there is room for characters to die. People die. Good guys and bad guys. Sometimes your big baddie rolls a natural one and a saving throw and insta-dies. It happens. It's like, some, sometimes you need to say, no, this is too important, I can't let him just fall over. Or, no, he doesn't deserve to just instantly die right now because this fight just started. But if you do that, you have to be really careful how you do it because sometimes the player knows that what they did should have instantly killed this thing. Yeah. And you can't just be like, well, no, because I said so, he doesn't die. Yeah. Like, have a reason. Have an explanation or a reason. Have some kind of backup. But, um, there are things to be said for making sure that the campaign doesn't just completely derail because of dice roll. But there's also a thing to be said for letting dice make some of the decisions. Oh, yes. Including some of who lives and and who dies. Yes. Um, and sometimes your big boss dies really quick because um, because in the first four attacks, three of them were crits and he just got wrecked. And you're like, okay, well, your party was just like the most heroic, triumphant people. And maybe they get an ego boost. And if the party role plays it well, sometimes it makes the party do reckless things in the future. And it's a really interesting role play around. Yeah. Um, but, and so... These are just a handful of tips for DMing. You know, you got building cities in broad strokes, making people in four steps, uh, be confident in what you want. Uh, you're willing. You're able to fudge some rolls. You're able to lie a little bit. Don't lie on every roll. Yeah. Um, if you find yourself doing it more than once or twice a session, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Uh, be prepared, but also be ready for them to throw you a curveball. Alright. And now, beyond that, there are some things that you need to, that you need to do based on who you're playing with. Yes. Not every campaign runs the same way for every group. And sometimes you have to alter how the world, the rules, and sometimes even the PCs operate. Um, you will have players, um, and this is this is often very true if you go to a setting where it's you and a bunch of people at a gaming store, people that you've only met through gaming, and you've only recently met them, where you really have to understand you can't house rule a lot of stuff because they don't know your style. 
and you have to understand, okay, there are there are rules in play, and these people have played a number of games, and they're probably fairly flighty. It needs to be a shorter and oriented campaign, at least at first, and I need to figure out, you know, pl- play it pretty by the rules. You can do a couple things, but um, you you will definitely I've I've definitely DM for game for groups that expect every role to be exactly like it is in the books. And they will get disappointed if it's not. And they won't have fun. On the flip side, um, I, I one of my favorite campaigns I got to DM for a group, most of the group there were actually people I knew from theater. They were very into the role-playing, into the storytelling. Um, we had maybe a fight per session mm-hmm. in that group. Um, because the, the fighting and the dice rolling wasn't what it was about. It was about advancing the story. And it gave me as a DM a lot of liberty to just have things happen and have the players react to it. And it was their player characters growing along with this story. And so there's a thing that I can add here. Um, every campaign has a different DM player dynamic. Like, fun- fundamentally, the DM is the god of the world. He says what happens. He's the, he is the final word on how things go. But you do want to keep a good relationship with your players. So you typically want your players to know ahead of time what kind of campaign they're walking into. Uh, a lot of campaigns, especially the pickup campaigns that you do with people around a game store, are, I'm the DM, I'm trying to kill you. Let's go. Yeah. Um, anything that's... A, a lot of modules... Are this way pre-bought modules are not necessarily down to DM. I'm trying to kill you, but they are very. We made this to be a linear story that your characters are role playing. R O L L. Yeah, you know, if there are, there are specific challenges that you meet with mecha- and mechanical methods. And then sometimes you'll have a situation where you're with players who really like the story. Maybe they, maybe they still enjoy combat, maybe they don't, but they, they really do enjoy the story. And in this case, it's more, I'm the DM, I'm going to make you all heroes. Come along on this adventure. You know, that doesn't even have to be make them all heroes. It can be something as simple as... Um, you know, I'm going on an adventure! <laughs> yeah, it could, it could be a low-level campaign where you never get past, like, fifth level in a, in a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. And it's just, you know, going along for the ride and watching things unfurl. And that can be a lot of fun for the group. But make, like basically, make sure that you and your players know what dynamic you're going to have. Yeah. And um, one, of the, one of the biggest problems, um, for those of you who have, who have seen the Gamers movie, it gives the perfect example of... The, two game, pro- uh, the second Gamers The second Gamers movie. Darkness Rising. There is a key disconnect between how the DM wants the game to be and how the players want the game to be. And the way that the movie shows it, of course, you know, initially it's, oh, well, the players are in the wrong. But so is the DM. The DM cannot make the players play his game. If you're DMing a game and the players want to be rules lawyers... Um, there are people, and that's how they have fun. And I, I'm not going to lie, I have enjoyed several games where it's like, what, we're all here to break the game? Fine, that can be hilarious. You can do some ridiculous things. Um, 
So, you know, if that's the group, you know, maybe you just have to say, this is, I'm not the DM for your group. If, if you can't do that. Um, likewise, if you are inclined to follow the rules, um, it's, it's a little bit, and you're not as much of a storyteller, you know, you're, you're a module person, maybe you need to learn a little bit more about, it's about, about storytelling and work on that. The biggest problem, though, is when it's not the entire group. When it's one person in a group. And that's when it gets awkward. Um, when you have a group, when I have the, this group of people who all love storytelling and role-playing, and the one person who's like, how can I break the game and make the biggest numbers possible? I know who you're talking about. Yeah, she was in this campaign. And I repeatedly kicked him out of game. Um, but one thing that's problematic is that it's very difficult with, for some players to remind them, by the way, you can kill other player characters. That's not illegal. Sometimes they don't want to do that because they feel bad. Sometimes they don't want to do that because they're like, why would I compromise the party's integrity? That's not a logical decision to yeah, make. Yeah, sometimes it's in character, sometimes it's metagaming. Um, well, I wouldn't do this for this reason. Um, one thing that's an important thing for DMs to remember is, why is your party together? Why are they working? Why does your party work together? If there's a member of your party who continuously causes everyone in the game to be annoyed... Why does your party continue to travel with this individual? It's really easy to say, okay, well, you know, your character is an uptight cleric of St. Cuthbert. And, you know, we're a group of chaotic good vigilantes. Why are you even traveling with us? And a lot of people fall into this trap of, well, he's a player character. We just pick him up. No questions asked. But if you just take a look at, well, why is this character really following us? Oftentimes you'll find that, well, it's in character for us to all go to bed at the end and then the rest of us to wake up and just leave without him. And, like, sim similarly, uh, you'll find in the, pot in the episode of Simple Life's going out this week, actually, um, recruiting our, our, our uh, special guest for the week does not, is not a surefire thing. Sometimes you need to do some convincing to get to get the the character into the into the party. Sometimes it takes a little bit more than hey, you're a PC, come on. That mm. said, if you're a PC, don't try to resist the party making you join. Sometimes the PC just tries too hard and it's like, "Okay, well your PC wanders off, make a new one." <laughs> don't make the DM railroad you. Cuz it's awkward for everybody. But it's like this this Again, it's it's the middle ground. Yeah, uh, what we're saying is middle ground. Speaking of middle ground, stepping back a little bit, um, you mentioned like it's impossible for a DM to make someone play his game. This is true. However, it is possible for a DM to invite people to try it his way, to invite people to play their game a little bit differently. Absolutely, I'm not saying you shouldn't try it. Yes, um, uh, this is the thing. Like, I'm, I'm if you're if your players are used to being numbers and they're not quite comfortable getting into character, you're not you're never gonna make them get into character. But you can kind of push conditions, you know, refer to the people in character and ask the character what they think. Uh, you know, kind of ease them into the idea of playing their character rather than just rolling numbers. Uh, like 
you can't force them, but you can make it easy for them to try. Yeah. But there there are times when you you play you you run for a group and you give them the opportunities and you try to push them and they get in and, and sometimes it's like, well, we're not having as much fun because we feel like we're being pushed to do this and that's not what we want to do. As a DM, you can't just say, well, too bad, we're doing this anyway. It's like at that at that point that, you need to at, which, at that point you need to either play the game they want or just you're not the DM well, for them. And if you don't have fun playing the game they want, then don't. Yeah, you're just not you're not the DM for them at that point. Being the DM should be as fun as playing. Yes. Um But yes. Uh but back to if yeah, if if worse comes to worse, then you just need to talk to the guy to the to the player and explain. Um because I've been accused before of cheating, um, I imprisoned a player in the center of the earth. And cheating and or playing characters out of character, which, admittedly, I kind of did, and I've, I've done I did it several times specifically to his character. He's like, "Well, my character was just acting in character," and it was. Apparently, breaking the game is in character for him. Well, no this this was when his character uh, knocked you unconscious and tried to murder you. Wait, what happened now? Remember the very first session? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. And I had an, one of the NPCs who happened to be nearby cast a sleep spell on him. Which was not... It was a stretch at best that he did that. Um, and there are plenty of reasons to be like... He was like, you know, well, you know, she would have died and learned her lesson. I'm like, but we're all here to have fun. Wait, what did I do to make him kill me? Um, you said that he was an ugly orc. Huh. Someone's got a hair. Fu- someone's got a hair trigger temper. Yeah. <laughs> an orc being angry because someone calls him ugly is like the sun getting angry because you tell it it's shining. Well, this was a character who he doesn't was get it- angry when I say that out of game. You. <laughs> Your your parents had been murdered by orcs. You know your entire village was oh, massacred by right. orcs. I forgot. And so very first. you yeah. had opinions against orcs, and both of you were acting in character. Unfortunately, him acting in character annoyed the party out of game, which made it unfun to play. It's still a game. If you have to do things that are out of character to make the game fun. You have to do things that are a character to make the game fun. The game is ultimately about being fun. Yeah. If the game stops being fun... Just stop playing? And you did something to make it fun again, for most people, you don't need to justify yourself. Ow. So. Um, but yeah. that. Aside from that, just in general, uh, I think most of us cover this, rules are as you need them. Every rule and the every rule in every book is optional. Even the even even the rules that just ba- makes the foundation of the game, they're optional. You yes. can change them if you need to. Uh, my father played original D anD D for quite a while and never used Thaco. What's Thaco? Because Thaco is dumb. For those of you who don't know, it stands for two hit at zero. It starts at twenty and goes down. The lower your Thaco, the better you hit. And you calculate Thaco by rolling a d20 and then um, calculating it compared to your Thaco to determine what AC you hit. 
So, if, for example, if you roll a 17, you have a 17 Thaco, um, you hit AC 0. But if you have a plus 2 from strength, you end up with rolling a 19, and then a plus 1 proficiency, you end up rolling a 20 compared to 8 Thaco um, of 17. Since you beat your Thaco by 3, you hit AC negative 3. Because the lower the AC, the better. Ah, uh, okay, this is, this is very now? strange. <laughs> exactly. No one likes Thaco. This is what? why Thaco was gone after second edition and no now, one misses now it. Now I understand why it's called to hit armor class zero, though. Yes. So My head's just spinning over here. You need to face the mic. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. But so, we, so, so that, that that's how you generate... These are some general ideas, tips, ways to get over it. You still make mistakes. Um, here are the big mistakes that annoy all of us to avoid. And these are these are will also probably include some ways to avoid these mistakes when we get to them. Yes, we're not we're not gonna be like, don't do this or you suck. <laughs> it's here's how to avoid falling into this trap. Uh, my number one, and this is something that I'm afraid of doing if I ever DM, is being too by the book. Like I've I've been in a campaign before where. I mean, we were trying something new, but the DM literally just read everything straight from the book. Yeah. No, you know, just, you don't have to put on an amazing show or anything, but, I mean, give it a little bit of emotion. Try to put your own spin on things. You don't have to go crazy. Just a little bit. This, and this is typical, this is often a problem when any of you are doing one of those book modules of somebody, if it's not in the book, it doesn't matter. Yes, that also really gets to me. I've been in a lot of those before. Yeah, where it's like, oh, well, um, so there's a dragon attacking this village. Why don't we leave? I've, I've been in one before where all of a sudden nothing ex- existed except for the village we were in. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm I'm by myself, and one of the first things that happens to me is I think it was like a gang of trolls comes up to attack me. I'm like, I'm going to get out of there because it's one against three. And he's like, you can't. Um, oh, okay, why not? Is there something blocking me? N- no, it's just, th- this is what you're supposed to do, so you can't leave. I'm like, wait. Doesn't seem like that should. And to what? Be, to be honest, a lot of a lot of modules modern days are getting a lot better about having room for characters to make non-standard decisions. But this is a thing: if you play strictly by the book, you're gonna come across a moment when the players don't do anything that's in the book. Yeah. Um, be ready to improvise. This is where we talked about. Be careful. What's called railroading when you have a story that you really want to see happen exactly the way you want to happen. You want to have it happen. And a player does something that's not in your story. Don't... Don't deny them that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the flat out... No, you have to do this. So there's a voice from the sky that says I have to do this? Um... Like... And there, there are ways. To, there are ways to get around this. There are ways to make this less instinctive. Um, yeah. For instance, 
get more into your characters. And this is a tip that I probably could have included earlier, but if you're trying to avoid just going along with scripted dialogue, get into the character's head to think about what they would say in reaction. Um, this is this is a thing that you'll learn as you as you play multiple characters as a dungeon master. Um, when you're when you are playing multiple characters, you have to try and figure out how these characters react to situations. A lot of it is just go with the flow. Just kind of say what comes to mind in that character's shoes. And, and if something needs to happen, you can generally find a way around it. For example, if the if that if she really needed to fight those trolls, all right, uh, I try to win her from the trolls. All right, you run. The trolls are tall and gangly. They're faster than you. You can't escape them. Mm-hmm. Right there. Or the trolls are coming at you from three angles. There's an alley behind you. Um, you know, you're, you, you're, you're, you're stuck in this alley. What do you do? And if they try something really clever, you know, maybe that's how they defeated the encounter. You don't have to kill the monsters to win an encounter. Sometimes you can pacify them, sometimes you can escape them. Yeah. Or trick them. Or trick them. If the players can be considered victorious, if the goal was to escape or survive, then they, if they do that, they were victorious. They don't even really have to be victorious necessarily. If the players are alive and they've accomplished a goal, maybe it was, hey, I robbed something and I got away. I didn't actually deal with any of the traps and I didn't deal with any of the guards. But I'm out here alive with the object I intended. But that's that—that that is victory. Like yeah. that's you're victorious at that point. Yeah, I don't want to die from trolls. That's my goal. I didn't die from the trolls. I am victorious. I ran away, but I'm still victorious. Uh, like the only the only times that a player is considered defeated is if they are forced to run away from a fight that they were not intended yeah. to try and escape. Yeah, they're only defeated if they fail at doing what they wanted to do. Yeah, which means that. Her having to fight the trolls was meant she was automatically defeated. Because she didn't want to fight the trolls. I didn't want to fight three of them at once. It was the very first time I was playing, too. Yeah. So, like, that's kind of intimidating. Her player was already defeated, right off the bat. For doing something that's very in character, too, by the way. Um, Remember that these aren't epic heroes. These are people. If your players are really getting into their characters, they're people. So, so yeah. um, By the book is... Be, be open to flexibility. Yeah, it's not fun. What about you? What about you, William? Any pet peeves? Oh, dear. No, <laughs> ah, okay. What's your All biggest right. pet peeve? Um, I, I will say the thing that gets me the most in any campaign, I can forgive a lot of things, but the thing that bothers me the most about dungeon masters that do things wrong is the DMPC. And I'm going to explain this. This is the dungeon master player character. This is what happens when a dungeon master also really, really wants to be playing in this campaign. And so they make a character who is always tagging along with the party. Always. Always. Like, they might as well be a player character in the party. But they're controlled by the dungeon master. Like, there, there's a bit of a conflict of interest here. The dungeon master knows what's happening. The dungeon master knows what's coming. The dungeon master has control over what the loot is. And if he's also playing a character, it's really easy for the DM and for the DMPC to get all the best loot, always survive the trap, 
always win the fight. It, it gets really tedious and boring and takes the spotlight off the players, which is where it should be. Frankly, when I have NPCs following with the party, I tend to forget they exist, <laughs> which is a bad habit of mine. It's a bad habit, but it, it's, it's at times better than having this NPC who is better than the party and is always there to save them, and no matter what they do, the PC, the, the NPC's there. To clarify, sometimes it's like, okay, well, you know, you're traveling, you know, your, your first level party travels with this 20th level epic hero for, like, an encounter... It's like, he, he's there to, like, get you in the tutorial. Yeah. <coughs> or, you know, <clears throat> sometimes you can create a cinematic scene. There's a, there's a, a castle siege, and you're, you're char- the character you're playing, and all of a sudden this epic hero jumps over the wall, slays everybody, and finishes the battle. And you're like, oh, man, that guy's so cool. But when that character starts following the party around on all their adventures, yeah. this is a problem. Yes. So doesn't this guy have better things to do if he's this powerful? It's like, there's something to be said for the party having an NPC companion. In fact, players are able to hire mercenaries in a lot of, in a lot of D&D campaigns. Mm-hmm. Or, or sometimes the party really needs a cleric and nobody wants to be the healer. So you have a character who's devoted to healing them. It's like, yeah, this character follows you around on his initiative. He'll just heal whoever's nearest and sometimes he'll turn undead or beat people with a hammer. As long as he's not taking the spotlight. Like, as long as the spotlight is firmly on the player characters. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be a great roleplay opportunity. Um, I'm the second edition party man, we've got a guy named Bragg, who's a, a gladiator we rescued from slavery. Because our party, being uh, is two wizards, a druid, an archer, and a fighter thief. We don't have a front line. Our front line is my halfling. My front, our front line is not good at being the front line. And so we got this gladiator who is just this giant damage sponge. And yes, he does great. He does awesome things every once in a while because he's a gladiator. He shows off. But instead of being somebody who takes the glory, he's a a role playing opportunity for a lot of the characters because they develop relationships with this individual. And it's always intimidating because you never know what's going to happen because the DM can be like, "Well, that, that individual's expendable. Bragg's dead." It's like what? Bragg jumped in the volcano to save us all. It could happen. Um, so you can definitely have somebody who rounds out the party and performs a function in the party. Like, you can definitely have NPCs accompanying the party all the time. The problem begins when it's the dungeon master playing his character yeah. in the party. Trying to do the best things and get the best loot. Uh, versus the dungeon master filling a role in the party. Which isn't to say you can't give the guy loot. I mean, you, read, you, you found an abandoned dwarven armory. Yeah, he found an awesome... He found a rock and great axe. But... And everybody found rock and gear. But if it's like... Yeah. But if it's like, hey, there's this awesome... Like, uh, the DM knows this character is a samurai. The DM knows this character, what this character likes. Giant magic katana. Somebody else might be able to use it. I'm taking it. Like, hmm, this item seems custom tailored to this individual. And even if it's not, if it's just a really cool loot item, taking it. Yeah. Fight me for it. NPCs get scraps. <laughs> Rule of play. There's NPCs get stuff that the rest of the party doesn't want. Just, that's how it goes. Alright. Um, anything else about DMPCs? Uh, I think I've covered most of it. Alright. Um, 
I just want to finish this up with one thing. We, we've danced around it. We've alluded to it. But one of the biggest things that I hate when a DM does is they say no. No reason. They just say no. For example, all right, you, you encounter this wall, the portcullis is closed, etc., etc. All right, I climb the wall with my thief wall climbing ability. You can't. Why? Why not? You just can't. Okay. Um, what's on the wall? It's a worn down wall. It's covered in vines. Shouldn't that make it easier to climb? You can't climb the wall. Okay. And the, the reason that DMs fall into this is because they get sick of players overusing an ability. I will admit my halfling fighter thief climbs everything. It's a convenient way to get around obstacles. We also have a druid who can shapeshift into a bird and fly over things. But the way the way you That's counteract cool. this isn't by saying no. It's by finding a situation yeah. where that doesn't work. It could be very simply, okay. The wall's you, covered in spikes. You, you, you approach the wall um, as you begin to climb the plants. One, one, one of the thorns pricks you and you realize it's mild, mildly venomous. And you start to feel your arms go numb and you fall. <laughs> All right. I don't want to climb this wall anymore. Problem solved. It's like, or this entire base was underground. If I'd climb the wall, I'd be like, you get into the courtyard, you still can't get in because it's in a tunnel. That did you no good. But you tried it. And you like, did it. And for instance, something that's familiar. Uh, those of us, those of you who watch the who watch who who listen to the actual play will know that Crash is a centaur. He charges things. And when he charges things, things go splat. They become very dead very quickly. Um, if this becomes a problem, my answer mm -hmm. isn't to say, no, you just can't charge for X reason. Your legs aren't working right now. Mm -hmm. um, my answer is, this is a really tight and close space. You're going to have some difficulties trying mm -hmm. to charge. Or, this guy can take that charge. He might have only reasonable health at that point now, but he's got enough health to at least survive the charge. <laughs> yes. Um, another common problem is in, in second edition D&D, the sleep spell is OP. It's ridiculous. Um, and, if, and if you see, like, okay, this wizard, because we have a wizard who just casts sleep on everything and it made every encounter ridiculously easy. Because, it's, because in second edition, sleep doesn't offer a saving throw. You just go to sleep. You just go to sleep. Go straight out. And um, you can't just say, well, you, you for arbitrary reasons, you can't access this spell. But you have to be creative. There are creatures that are immune to sleep. You could have it so that these creatures get woken up by things. You could have it where if it gets really bad, you sit down and are like, we're modifying the sleep spell because it's just broken. Sometimes you have to change the rules. As long as you're consistent about it, it's okay. And honestly? As, as long as you're not neutering the character when you do that. As long as you're not completely making someone useless. Yeah. For example, you, for someone like Crash, you can't just be like, okay, well, um, your charging is OP, no more charging. But that's what he does. That's what I do. That's, that's the whole point of his character. Yeah. Um... But if it's, like, a mage who happens to have picked up a spell and is suddenly solving every problem with it, like, I have Wish, and I just cast Wish all the time. Maybe you need to fix the Wish spell. 
-hmm. You need to actively buy these diamonds, and these are rare diamonds. Yeah. It's like, well, I've got 900,000 gold. Great. Where do you find the diamonds? Okay. Um, fifth edition had a, had a great ruling. Another thing I, I love about the ruling of wishes, if they start wishing for things repeatedly, you start messing with their wishes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you didn't word this properly. It's like, what? You wish for a fireball spell? Okay, you get hit by a fireball. <laughs> you are struck by a fireball. Oh! Oh, you meant you wouldn't target him? You should have been more specific. I wish for him to get fireballed. Okay, he casts a fireball at you. <laughs> yeah. You, you, there are there are ways. And typically, something like that doesn't become a problem. Pro- just pop up in one session and instantly be a problem for that session. It typically takes a while. So you have time between sessions to be like, okay, how am I going to deal with this? And oftentimes, if you do it once really, really well... They don't do it again. It, do it again. Uh, like, for instance, the sleep spell. If your party is going against like an organization and they realize that your wizard with a sleep spell is causing a lot of problems, maybe they start creating magical amulets that allow them to resist the sleep spell. Yeah. And they start issuing them to their soldiers. Or maybe they start sending elf and half-elf operatives at you who are immune to sleep. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you get attacked by golems. Can't sleep a construct. (laughs) Constructs don't sleep. Yeah. Or undead. Can't sleep undead. There's a lot of solutions to every problem like um this was not a campaign that i was in one one that my friend was in it was a it was a villain campaign uh and villain campaigns are so prone to so many things going wrong uh it was a villain campaign and these two party members had an answer to everything and that answer to everything was cast levitation on the opponent other person cast a gust of wind send them into the atmosphere Oh, I knew I knew a guy who would be like, cast reverse gravity, wait a few seconds, remove reverse gravity, dead. <laughs> suddenly you're facing flying enemies. And suddenly you're facing flying enemies. Suddenly you're facing people who have spell resistance. Yeah. Um, another thing to note, one of the biggest problems that requires, that people think requires a lot of balancing is magic. If you notice your wizards always have the right spells for every occasion, make it hard to rest. Make it actively difficult for your party to get time to sleep. To get time to sleep. Um, have them lose their material components. What can you cast without your semantic without your material components? Ooh. Um, silence. Silence is a really easy spell. There are ways to fight wizards, uh, but one of the biggest ones is don't let your party rest every five minutes. Yeah. Make things time sensitive. So, anyway, these, these are just some problems that people often say no to, and it's like, well, you can't. Oh, well, this human's arbitrarily immune to sleep for no legitimate reason, or, oh, this guy's armor class just raised by ten for no legitimate reason. In the middle of the fight. In the middle of a fight. Like, or, like, bringing in a character who has a higher armor class is one thing. In the middle of a fight, modifying a character's armor class is a whole nother one. Yeah. Um, so don't say no. And don't... 
don't just change the game if, or uh, because you don't like what a character's doing. Specifically, don't change the game in a way that is immediately noticeable. Yes. Um, like, in the middle of combat, don't change this thing's stats. Yeah, people notice. Um, but yeah, the, big, the biggest one is don't say no. When, when someone tries to do something you didn't expect, don't say no. It's no fun. So, um, I think that's, that's about it for this week's podcast. Uh, were there any other thoughts that any, either of you had? Um, if you have trouble doing voices, you don't have to worry about it. Just keep going. Just have fun with the voices. Yeah. I, 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 I think I, if you just give enough emotion. Yeah. It's like, there, I'm going to be honest, my voice has a limited range, and there's only so many accents I can do. My dwarves start to sound similar after a while. All my dwarves sound All exactly dwarves the same. All dwarves sound similar. But you know what? That's fine. Have fun with it. Yep. It's a game. But that's, that's, that's the part of it. It's a game. Have fun. If you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. Um, so yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Um, I don't think I need to give you the whole spiel about everything that we do because I gave that at the beginning of the podcast today. So, uh, feel free to check us out. Thanks for sticking through that. Um, I will remind you that we are supported by you on Patreon. I'd like to give a big shout out to our current $25 supporters, uh, who are David Payne and Chris Comfort. David Payne, not David Payne. I apologize. David Payne. (laughs) David Payne. Dr. Payne is in the house. I knew a guy named Dr. Payne. Um... And a big thanks to our new $15 supporter, Addie Pie. Yay! Uh, and a thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. You don't, I don't, you may not realize it, but every single dollar adds up. So thank you all for listening. Uh, check us out at finalshowfilms.com if you need any more information. And uh, we will uh, see you next Monday. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye.